Before all of this information was available to consumers, they had to go into the store. So demand had to walk to supply. But now supply needs to move toward demand. It's not a small change, it's a big change. Welcome to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. I'm Krista Crum, Esri Analyst Relations Lead, and I'll be your host for today. You just heard industry analyst Brian Kilcourse, managing partner at RSR Research, talk about how retailers need to respond to the realities of commerce today. According to Kilcourse, overperformer retailers understand the value of location data in prospecting for customers, enriching shopping experiences, and optimizing supply chains. Here, Kilcourse and Esri Marketing Programs lead Ed Loker discuss the application of data science and emerging technologies like machine learning in the new shopping age. So, Brian, thank you so much for coming and spending some time with us today. Are we in a retail apocalypse or a retail renaissance? Oh, the retail apocalypse thing is just a soundbite to get people to read blogs and uh, newspaper articles. There's no reality to the retail apocalypse at all. Um, in fact, the retail business grew faster than the GDP last year, so that uh, gives the lie to that. In fact, what you're seeing is a bit of a, I think Deloitte Consulting did a, a study on this that talked about a retail bifurcation, that brands on the top end are doing quite well and their shoppers are using the digital side of the business pretty extensively, and on the other side, those who are really talking about price and convenience, these are the dollar stores and things like that. It's the retailers in the middle that have tried to be all things to all people that have really suffered. But in fact, the retail industry is reinventing itself, and they're reinventing itself with a combination of a digital and a physical offer working together to solve consumers' problems. So the retail apocalypse is not real. A better question might be, do people still like to shop? And the evidence is compelling that people love to shop. Shopping is entertaining, it's fun, it's fulfilling. What's changed is how they shop, and that's wh where the discussion really ought to be. So can you tell us a little bit about uh, some of the most interesting best practices that are taking shape in retail? Well, that's a great question because retailers have been messing around. I shouldn't say messing around. They've been experimenting <laughs> on the customer-facing side of the business since about 2010. 2010 was a really pivotal year for retailers. First of all, we were in the middle of the Great Recession. That was a big deal because uh, consumers had less money to spend on the things that they needed. The second thing was is the iPhone had been out for three years and the Android uh, telephone or the smartphone had come out just a year or two later. And by 2010, people were replenishing their mobile phones with these new smart devices. And what they did with them is what we all do today with them. We started using those devices to inform their purchase decisions. So they had less money, they had less time, but they had a lot more information. And about 2010, that kicked in for retailers. Retailers suddenly realized that uh, consumers didn't begin their shopping journey inside the four walls of the store. They began it outside. And so they've spent a lot of time working on that. And a whole set of best practices has emerged. But what is behind it is an understanding that retailers are gaining about what their true va uh, brand value is to consumers. And there is no one right answer. So. For example, what is the brand value of Walmart? Well, it's price and convenience, right? So you get a low price and you're gonna find just about anything you need. Now convenience defined in the Walmart context is everything inside of one big box. What's the value proposition if you're shopping at Neiman Marcus? Well, it's neither price nor convenience. It's exclusivity and there's all kinds of value props 
that are wrapped around that, and then everything in between those things. Retailers understanding what their value proposition is to consumers informs how they approach the consumer in the digital domain and how they line the physical store up to support that. Where retail is right now is in joining that digital world and that physical world together. Maybe it was a wake-up call to some retailers that they didn't really know what they were. That's really true. I mean, I, I don't mean to be rude to my kith and kin. I've spent my entire life in retail. But the fact of the matter is, is that retailers didn't really pay very much attention to customers at all. The proxy for demand for a retailer since the mid-1980s was the scan over, was the point of sale scan. Now, by today's standards, that seems a little bit uh, like driving in a screw with a hammer, right? But in fact, that's all we had. So what consumers bought and what they bought when they were buying that thing, that was the best we could do. Um, and so those things became the proxies for demand. And think what we did with that. We optimized our assortments. We optimized the supply chain. We lowered the cost of goods. We delivered everything as a low price. And this was the mass merchandising model perfected. The people like me did that. But the consumers revolted against that sea of sameness. And they revolted in 2010 <laughs> because of a convergence of events that caused them to take control of their purchases in ways that they hadn't before. So retailers have been, been kind of forced to think about consumers other than uh, as a market basket. And let's consider the other thing. Before all of this information was available to consumers, they had to go into the store. So demand had to walk to supply. Supply was at the store. Nobody had any choice. If, that's, if you wanted to buy something, you went to the store. But now supply needs to move toward demand because demand is being generated in the digital domain by and large and consumers are making their fulfillment choices maybe go to a store maybe have it delivered to their house maybe some other methodology but they're making their choices and, and retailers now have to understand what's going on outside of their four walls so that they can observe and interact and then they need to intelligently bring supply closer to that point of demand and and what I just described there is a revolutionary change to retail. It's not a small change, it's a big change. From big picture, strategic view, what are some of the ways that location technology can create value for a retailer? That's a great question. Um, there's a lot of focus on, on understanding the consumer as they approach the, the store. So there's a lot of focus, for example, on wayfinding, um, uh, understanding consumers as they're moving toward a store, and that's all interesting when they're in the store, helping them to navigate the store uh, more effectively than they did before. This is all geolocation data uh, that can be thrown off by their cell phones. And all you really need to do there is you need to have a Wi-Fi uh, portal that asks them to sign in, so they opt into the experience. And there's some retailers that have done a great job with that. Uh, I always think of John Lewis in London. And they walk in, they say, would you like to uh, jump onto our, our portal? And you say, yes, you've now opted in. And then you can use the app to find the product that you're looking for in the store. Uh, one of the best retailers I've seen that, that does that is a place called the Nebraska Furniture Mart. It's three stores, believe it or not, just three stores. But these stores are gigantic. I mean, I don't even know how many square feet they are. They're massive. And they actually have a wayfinding app. So then you walk into the store, you say, I'm looking for flat screen TVs. And they tell you exactly how to get there. 
Otherwise, they'd have to send out a rescue party <laughs> to find you. It's just a massive store. So there's a lot of interest in that kind of stuff. I actually think that there, there's a couple of other more fundamental opportunities available to them, and I think about the supply chain side. So when you think about the supply chain for retailers, it's inbound to the D.C., and it's outbound to the customer or to the, you know, to the consumer. Inbound to the DC, there's a tremendous amount of work that can be done there to help them to mitigate supply chain risk. So these are supply chain ch uh, shocks, delays in the, in the network, those kinds of things that can happen. And this is getting important because as these global networks get more and more far flung, there you have your, your primary supplier who may have a secondary arrangement with a subcontractor who may have a tertiary arrangement with another subcontractor and you lose visibility very quickly. When you, when you start thinking about compliance, environmental compliance, work standards compliance, just schedule compliance, the visibility becomes pretty important. And, and there's, there's a lot of opportunity there. So the other side of it is outbound to the consumer. It's important for retailers to understand where, where inventory really goes, where the customer really goes to intersect with that inventory or that product, and what's the most desirable way to service those kinds of orders, or maybe do they need to service them at all? Maybe there's no real data to support that particular idea. One of your studies that I'm familiar with concluded that the best way to overcome internal barriers to better merchandising is to foster better communication and education between the merchandising, the marketing, and the other channels. Uh, how do you see location intelligence facilitating that communication so that everyone is working from the same information or data set? It's a great question. So let's consider what the merchant does. Uh, the merchant is in a period of tremendous transition right now uh, where they've moved from thinking about a standardized assortment delivered in the most consistent way to all the stores to thinking about some level of, of uh, let's call it relevance, local, localized relevance, maybe to the point of personalization. Uh, and that's a new game for them. And it, and it uh, challenges their, their legacy ways of uh, developing an assortment plan, developing a forecast and replenishing. All of these things are, are being challenged by the merchant. Who is the person, the executive in retail, who's charged with reaching out to customers and providing relevant messaging on something approaching a one-to-one -one level? CMO the CMO and they have all this new data and they and they can talk to the merchant about where these messages are resonating where they're not resonating you have to bring the supply chain person in too the supply chain person is charged with delivering the product to the business at the lowest unit cost of goods on time and in the right condition that's what is that's what a supply chain guy does and and so they're they're fallback position is to buy in huge quantity on a highly standardized assortment and delivered uniformly to the business. That's not the world that we live in today. So you have a, the CMO who's trying to put eyeballs on the website and feed into the store. You've got the merchant who's trying to localize the value proposition to be more relevant in a tighter, more well-defined market area. And you've got the supply chain person who's trying to bring the product at the lowest cost of goods. Now you've got to bring in the e-commerce e and the store people because they are, in fact, to the consumer, their one selling environment. You know, they think of themselves as channels, but the consumers don't think of channels. They think of it this way. You either solve my problem or you don't. 
Have you ever heard a consumer ever say, you know, it's okay that they screwed up on the e-commerce channel because I can still go to the store? Or worse yet, you know, they said they had it in stock on the e-commerce channel. I went to the store and it wasn't there. That's okay. If that happens, you'll probably never set foot in that store again. In another one of your articles, you say when it comes to using location data for competitive advantage, the distance between retail winners and laggards is going to get very big very fast. Well, our studies are fascinating because... Um, overperformers, what we call winners, um, don't just do all the same things other retailers do. They tend to do different things as well. So they're really good at the baseline things that all retailers must do, buying and selling, all these things. Consumers give no retailer any credit for doing those things, no credit at all. But winners tend to do some different things. One of the things that they do differently is they have a very different view of the value of information. Uh, and they tend to view information strategically rather than tactically. Retail winners have paid much more attention to the signals that consumers are dropping in front of them all the time. I, I call them digital breadcrumbs. And, and consumers are, are throwing off millions of these breadcrumbs. Some of them are interesting. Some of them are actually really important. And winners do a much better job of paying attention to that so that they can identify consumers' needs as they are still developing and then putting messaging in front of them and interacting with them in a fascinating way that, that creates a bias for their brand. They're really good at this. On the other side, where cost of goods is developed, on the supply chain side, retail winners are also moving forward on trying to understand the implications of omnichannel selling on the supply chain of the side of their business. And they're, again, they're using information. So one of the things we found in a study a couple of years ago is that Retail winners tended to view their supply chain back to the outbound dock of their manufacturing partner. Retail laggards tended to view their supply chain as stopping or starting, depending on which way you're looking, at the inbound dock of the DC. So they kept it within the confines of their enterprise where retail winners were saying, no, 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 my, my value goes all the way back to the manufacturer, maybe even to the raw goods. Do you need to be big to have that strategic view? No, uh, no, you don't need the size. And one of the fascinating things that's happened with today's technology is that mid-tier retailers and even pretty small retailers can get a lot of the functional advantages that the big guys used to have an exclusive right to because they're available in the cloud. And um, that's one really, really important aspect of it. Today's solutions actually work. The commercially available solutions are really pretty robust and sometimes astoundingly so. You, know, you can see things that you couldn't see before just by engaging with a company that will collect your data and will help to create new insights from it, just as an example. So that's available now to a much smaller retailer than was possible before. And you don't need a huge army of, of um, uh, retail professionals or IT professionals to make that happen. So small, medium, large, those retail winners based upon the definition, they're all moving down the path towards this personalized experience, personalized at scale. Yeah, I try to avoid the word personalized. And that's not that it's not right. It's just that I think there's a better word. And that's a relevant experience. Uh, relevance is what's key. And it covers a broader spectrum of possibilities. So for example, if we're a drugstore, I worked in a drugstore chain, and we're talking about a pharmaceutical. Personalized is pretty important. If we're selling eggs and milk, 
do I have to tell you a lot about my life in order for you to sell me eggs and milk? The answer is no. Not only that, but I might actually resent the question. It's, it's all about relevance. It goes back to the need that's being defined. And consumers are telling retailers all the time what their needs are by virtue of what they're searching for, by, by what they click on, which emails they open, what they talk about with their, with their friends on social media. All of this information is incredibly valuable stuff. So do you find that retailers have too narrow of an understanding of location intelligence? That it's not just about picking the right store locations per se. You know, there's an application as a function of business intelligence to deepen that customer engagement. Retailers have kind of a, a confused view of, of, of location intelligence right now. That retailers have been using static location data for, for as long as I've been in retail, probably a lot longer for site selection and those kinds of things. And we would typically use fairly static information. We'd use uh, uh, census information, with some competitive data if we could get it. We would actually look at, uh, I remember doing this because I was on the real estate committee for a little while. We'd look at school plans, you know, as far as planning for new schools and new neighborhoods and stuff like that. And we would then make our choices. But this is all very static. Of course, we'd look at demographic. You know, we'd know what the, the racial makeup of the community, the average number of children, and the, and how many college degrees were involved, et cetera, et cetera. We knew all of those things. So that's a type of location data. And then they would manually, they would marry that to a map. And we used to have big maps. We'd roll out, we'd draw, we'd say, this is our sphere of influence. You know, there were people whose whole lives were putting that together. It was a long and involved process. But it was static. And once the store was in place, it was, it was done. You know, we then expected to get, you know, 10 or 20 good years out of that store. Nowadays, they can have a much more real-time view, not just of where are the great locations and what kind of folks are hovering around those locations and where they come from. And you can tie that to all kinds of interesting uh, demographic and psychographic information. But uh, you can also start marrying that to other external data that's available to you. Competitive data, weather data, uh, social event data, like a sports uh, event, you know, there's a big ballpark across the street. That part of the science has advanced tremendously. And they can use it not just for site selection, but they can also use it for some of the merchandising decisions, some of the promotional decisions, all of these things. It's all good. You also have on the other side, you've got the, the chief marketing officer is using location information in some way to send out promotional messages in a way that makes sense for the business. And then there's that big area in between that we've been talking a little bit about, where there's a bit of confusion as to what it really means. I think ultimately, um, retailers are going to want to understand geolocation data down to the aisle, um, down, to the, down to looking at the store floor. And there are a bunch of reasons for this, because, but, but fundamentally it's this. They want to tie the digital and the physical experience together. And right now, in the digital world, you can travel where you want to travel. You can go wherever you need to go. And then in one of the great ironies of today's world, uh, as a consumer, you walk into a store and it goes digitally dark on you. You just have to wander through the store. But you don't want to wander through the store. You, know, you want what you want. So I think retailers are going to have to um, digitally enable that. And that's where IoT and you know, all those things come to play. So are retailers interested in that? They're absolutely interested in every single one of these use cases about that gets to geolocation data and geospatial data. And we already talked about the supply chain earlier. So ROI on, on the investment of all of this technology and these things, 
Um, is that the primary driver? Should it be creating this holistic business strategy where you're marrying the mm -hmm. physical and the digital together? So I'm not a fan of ROI. And the reason I'm not a fan of ROI is because if you're measuring ROI, you're only measuring what you know. You're not measuring what you don't know. It's, it's the most conservative justification for capital spending that I can think of. And we live in a world right now where there's transformation happening. So can you put an ROI on a transformation? That doesn't mean you can just throw all caution to the wind and just start spending money like there's no tomorrow. Uh, retailers have to learn how to innovate. And you, know, you hear it in the technology world, but it is true. They have to learn how to fail fast. But we're talking about the information asset here. The good news is, is there are ways to learn how to use the information asset which are relatively low cost before you start committing to implementing them and integrating them to your total offer. So for example, do I want to localize my assortments at store level? How much do I want to localize? Do I want to have uh, every store with its own assortment? That would be pretty hard to do. Or do I want to have some much more granular understanding of what a model store might be? How do I make that decision? Well, you can start looking at the data and making those decisions based on that. One of the great innovations that's, that's come along with the technology is there's not just technology throwing off the data at, at, at an amazing pace. There's also technologies available that help you to consume that data in new and interesting ways. So this is one of the great gifts that AI and machine learning has brought to the industry, is that you can look for patterns in huge sets of data that the human wouldn't be able to see. And you can start to model, um, uh, if you will, um, uh, conditions that might alter those patterns. And you can do this all in the digital space. So um, I would argue that before AI machine learning, uh, which I don't even like to use those, those words, but I'll explain that in a second. But before those technologies became available, it was almost impossible to really model the business the way we're discussing now. The reason I don't like to use AI and machine learning is because it's really a new way of, of studying data. Data used to be studied based on rules. So you'd say, you know, if, if the cost is this and the, and, the, and the retail is that, and it was sold at this store at this date, then report it to me. Um, but now we're dealing with in a world where attributes are, are being created while we, you and I are talking. Probably in the, in the space that you and I have been chatting, hundreds of new uh, customer attributes have been created. And you can't drop a table every time somebody does that or create a new rule that says, okay, I got this new attribute. Now figure out what to do with it. So AI and machine learning is, is its great gift is it can do pattern matching based on really big sets of variable data. And that's exciting. Uh, the, the CIO in me gets very excited about that. Uh, so let's talk just briefly about the, the senior leaders in the retail space. What are the forward-thinking ones thinking about over the next 18 months? The best executives that I have the opportunity to speak with, first of all, are, are trying to examine what their real value is to customers. What value do we really bring to customers? And what's the differentiating part of that value? How are we different? They're not looking at it through rose-colored glasses. That's number one. Number two, I think that they see the strategic value of information. And in overperforming retailers, you'll find the senior executive team wants information to be used more effectively than it perhaps might have been in the past. But they actually want to turn it into a competitive weapon. How can we turn information into something that we can use essentially to clobber the competition? Um, that's not new. Certainly Walmart did that in the 80s and the 90s with their supply chain information. 
Um, but it's the the battle has been reengaged. So when you when you speak, you often use a quote from the science fiction author William Gibson. Yeah. The future is here. It's just not evenly distributed. <laughs> how does that explain this retail renaissance and, and how we're shopping today? Well, everything that we've been talking about has been done out there by somebody. And we've talked about some very real examples. I'm not talking about space age stuff here. So one of the important things for retailers to do is to pay attention to what's being done well in the marketplace that redefines the terms of competition. And that gets to that quote. It's there. You can, you can see it. You can shop at it. Um, you can adopt the things that work for your brand in the context of the value that you're trying to deliver. Thank you very much for your time today. Um, hopefully we can talk you into coming back some other time. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to the Esri and the Science of Wear podcast. And thanks to Brian Kilcourse for describing the best practices of today's top retailers in their quest to deepen engagement with their customers and grow their businesses. To learn more, download our free eBooks, Putting AI and Location Intelligence to Work at esri.com forward slash AI, Making Sense of Digital Transformation at esri.com forward slash where, and Making the Most of the Internet of Things at esri.com forward slash IoT.